This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25 and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show.
What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the show on Monday, the 14th of November. We had the final weekend of Premier League games at the weekend. And now it's six weeks till we get to see the Premier League again. We will have EFL Cup games in five weeks. But as of, I suppose, tomorrow, all focus turns to the World Cup. Uh, We will keep you updated with any Premier League news in the meantime, while also obviously covering as much of the World Cup as possible. Uh, But let's take a quick look then at the weekend's games. We'll start with the surprise of the weekend. Manchester City won Brentford 2 at the Etihad. Ivan Toney put Brentford 1 up on 16 minutes. Should have doubled that lead before Phil Foden equalised with a stunning left-footed half volley. One minute into first half stoppage time. The second half was all City. They piled on pressure. They looked for an opening. They couldn't find one. One of the reasons they couldn't is because they were largely playing with 10 men. Erling Haaland, a complete non-factor in this game, didn't look fully fit, didn't look all that arsed either. Um, This is the negative side of Haaland, and we saw this a, a few times at Dortmund as well. If he's not scoring, he really does have a tough time impacting the game. You thought City were going to win, though. Like, it felt like City were going to win. We've seen this movie before, and City always end up getting the winner. But they get caught on a counterattack from their own set piece. Brighton break. It's really well worked. The ball finds its way to Josh De Silva on the right-hand side of City's box. He stands up to defender, beats him on the outside, gets the cross in, and Ivan Tony arrives to just tap it home and give Brentford the 2-1 win. Tony should have had a hat-trick in this game, not just the chance he missed in the first half, but after his second goal, they get another counter-attack. It's an even easier opportunity, but he takes too much out of the ball and ends up hitting the post. And uh, he ends up disappointed. He seemed quite upset with himself after the game. He didn't get his hat-trick. But what a massive three points that is for Brentford. That's the best result they've had since they've joined the Premier League. And it's a really bad result for City. So Brentford go into the break in 10th place. 15 games played, 19 points. They're scoring plenty. They're conceding too many, and that's something they're going to have to work on over this time off. And it's something they should probably look to address in the January transfer market. But all things considered, they're going to be absolutely thrilled. Second season syndrome has not hit them. It may still. We saw last season they had a really good start, then went through a really rough patch. So it's possible that they go through a rough patch after the World Cup break. But 10th place is more than they could have dreamed of at this point. Only the four defeats this season, which is very, very impressive. That's the same number as Liverpool, Manchester United, and Tottenham, the only clubs who've lost less, are the top three. So they're making themselves very hard to beat. If they can turn some of those draws into victories, they could climb even higher. If they can keep some more clean sheets, they could climb even higher. Uh, Manchester City are now second in the league, five points behind City. Sorry, five points behind Arsenal. 14 games played, 32 points. The best attack in the league with 40 goals thus far. 
conceded 14. I think there's only two teams, Arsenal and Newcastle, who've conceded less. So they're going to be happy enough. They'd obviously rather be top, but with 24 games to play off the back of this World Cup, I think I think City are very, very well positioned to go on one of the runs that we've seen them make over the last five years under Guardiola. And I think they'll comfortably win the league. I do. I just can't see any way around it. Arsenal have had a really good start, but this break comes at the worst time for them. It's a very light squad as well. There's not much depth there. And I just don't see Arsenal sustaining this. I see them falling back. I think they probably will end up top four, obviously. I didn't think they would pre-season. But at this point, it would be an incredible collapse if they didn't. It would be a Leicester-level collapse if they didn't get top four. But I don't think they win the league. And I don't think they get within 10 points of City. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure they'll definitely finish second, to be honest. I think third or fourth is most likely. But look, that would be a huge step forward given the mediocrity of the last three years. Anyway, back to City. They're going to be disappointed in terms of losing that game. Like that was three points they will have marked down. They would have liked to go into that break only two points behind. Just from a psychological point of view, that's a one-game flip. Arsenal draw or lose a game, City win a game, and all of a sudden City are top. Now it needs two bad Arsenal results, which will come, and City to win on those weekends and be winning while Arsenal are winning as well. Moving on then to the afternoon games, Bournemouth 3, Everton 0. Spare some time and some thought for the Everton fans who spent five, five hours on a coach on the way down to Bournemouth on Tuesday night, then five hours on the way back up afterwards, having lost 4-1, then got in the same coach again on Saturday morning and spent five hours going down, and then another five hours coming back, having watched a team lose 3-0. That is a very rough four or five days uh, spin for the Everton fans. Uh, Tavernier scored after 18 minutes, Kiefer Moore after 25 minutes, and Jaden Anthony after 69 minutes to give Bournemouth a very comfortable win. Everton were awful, absolutely awful in this game, and there's no real excuse for them. Things are looking quite grim for Everton. They're now 17th. They're only one point ahead of Nottingham Forest, two points ahead of Southampton, and four points ahead of Wolves. Everton are in real danger of relegation. They've lost seven games this season, They've only won three. The quote-unquote best defence in the league that was propping them up has now conceded 17 goals. They've only scored 11 goals. The only team who scored less is Wolves, who don't score goals as almost as a rule. This is really, really concerning for Everton. And when you look at where they sit and how they've been this season and indeed how they've been last season, you have to question whether or not they can stick by Frank Lampard coming out of this World Cup break. I think, if we're being honest, the only reason they wouldn't sack him is because they're too cheap to do so. But with Sean Dyche sitting out there available, I just don't understand how you could stick with this 
for another year. I really don't. Or even for another six months. I just don't understand how you could stick with this formula that isn't working. He spent a lot of money in the summer and none of it has worked out for them. If we look at last season under Benitez, after 15 league matches, which is what they've played now, they'd won five, drawn three, lost seven, scored 19, conceded 25, they had 18 points and they were 12th in the league. And they ran Benitez out of town. This season, they've won three, drawn five, lost seven, scored 11, and conceded 17. 14 points, 17th in the league. The 18 points Rafa had last season would be enough for 12 points, for 12th place in the league this season. They were knocked out of the EFL Cup in the third round in both campaigns. So they're four points worse off, the same status in the Cup, the football is absolutely putrid to watch. And in the summer of 2021, they spent 1.7 million. This past summer, they spent 90 million with a net spend of 30 million. So Frank has had everything he could have asked for, but he has delivered nothing. Absolutely nothing. And when we compare him to Gerard, which is always going to be what happens, that's now 38 games for Lampard as Everton manager. 19 defeats, 7 draws, 12 wins. Gerard in 40 games, 19 defeats, 8 draws, 13 wins. So just to do as good as Gerard, who got sacked, Everton have to get a win and a draw from their next two games. Wolves at home, which is Lopetegui's first league game, and City away. And given that Chelsea have only won two, or Everton have only won two away matches under Lampard, I'm not fancying them to get anything from City. And I don't know that I fancy them to beat Wolves, even at home. Because Wolves will have some of their players back by then. And they're going to have a much better manager than the Cowboy who's been in charge the last couple of weeks. So just to do as well as as Gerard, who got sacked for not being good enough, Lampard needs a win and a draw from Wolves and City. And Gerard took over a worse situation than Lampard did, in my opinion. I think Everton, the team he took over, was better than the team Gerard inherited from Dean Smith. They've got to look long and hard at this. They really do. They can't afford they can't afford to be relegated. They really can't. That could ruin them as a club. The fan reaction afterwards shows that things are on the verge of getting really toxic as well. Um Alex Awobi went over and gave his shirt to a fan and the fan threw it back at him. And there was a confrontation between players and fans. And Lampard came over, and I, I don't know what he tried to do, but he seemed to make things worse. Everton need to take a really long, hard look at this situation because it cannot continue the way it is. For Bournemouth, they are going to be absolutely thrilled. They're 14th. They've got 16 points. They still don't have a manager. Bear that in mind. They still don't have a manager. 
The defensive record is a major issue. They've conceded 32 goals, but remember, they did concede nine in one game. Uh, four wins, four draws, and seven defeats. 18 goals scored, which is pretty good. Pretty good return. They could do it, you know, maybe ticking that up a bit and ticking the defensive side down a bit. Now, the most recent rumour from, that's well, not a rumour, it's a report from David Ornstein, is that they are trying to tempt Marcelo Bielsa. And if they could add him, that would be, it would just be fun. I mean, Bielsa is is brilliant and his teams are always enjoyable to watch. I'd imagine we see movement on that front in the next couple of days. I think we'll see maybe movement with one or two other clubs who might be having thoughts about moving on from the managers, uh, like in Everton, in the next couple of weeks as well. If you're going to change, you need to change quickly to give that manager a long run to prepare for that first match, basically to have a full preseason, to get things in place, to scout and you know have plans for January, but also to assess the current squad and see who can play, who can't play, who fits what you want to do, who doesn't. Bournemouth need to make the move this week. They need to get a manager in place because especially for someone like Bielsa, whose style is so specific, that's going to take time to implement. He's going to need to have those players in situ. Moving on, West Ham nil, Leicester City 2. Awful from West Ham. Absolutely awful. Uh, Leicester just made them look almost amateurish, amateurish at times. James Madison scored on eight minutes. Unfortunately for James Madison, he then had to go off injured. And it looked like a hamstring issue. And it's very, very possible that James Madison is going to miss the World Cup. Having been sort of the last one in, he may now miss out. Um, Le- Leicester missed a penalty in the first half. Yuri Tielemans missed a pretty poor penalty, but Fabianski makes a good save. Harvey Barnes wrapped the game up on 78 minutes. Good work from the Aussie Perez and a good finish by Harvey Barnes. If they're not bringing Madison, Barnes wouldn't be... Barnes wouldn't be a bad shout to replace him. Dewsbury Hall wouldn't be a bad shout to replace him either. Obviously, there's you can pick from other clubs as well. But those two from Leicester are really rounding into form. Dewsbury Hall's a lovely player in midfield. And Barnes is a threat with his pace and his power and how direct he is. Offers a little of something different than what England have. Um, he could be worth consideration for Southgate, but I assume he'll just ignore him. He might well bring Ivan Tony if if Madison can't go and bring, you know add that third striker and just consider Rashford more of a wide option. Um, this is awful from West Ham. They are 16. They are level on points with Everton. One point above the relegation zone. Not scoring enough, only 12 goals scored. Conceded 17, the same as Everton, but nine defeats. Nine defeats this season from 15 games. That really, really is not good enough. Went out of the EFL Cup as well. I know they're going well in the Conference League, but I think they need to be having a look at Moyes as well. Maybe the shelf life of David Moyes has passed by. He doesn't seem to know how to get the best out of this group of players. He doesn't seem to know how to use some of them. He seems just glued to the idea that he has to have the likes of Fabianski and Craig Dawson in the team when they're negative impact players. Dawson was just all over the place in that game. 
Uh, Thomas Suchek has been in poor form for probably 10, 11 months now, yet he's in the team every single game. He doesn't seem to know how to use Paqueta and Skamaka properly, and that's a real concern considering you spent 80 million to get the two of them in, and they are massive talents. But I look at their bench. Agard is sitting on the bench, significantly better than Dawson. Ariola sitting on the bench, significantly better than Fabianski. Emerson Palmieri at this point is probably better than Aaron Cresswell. And Flynn Downs on current form and Pablo Fornals will be better options in central midfield than Thomas Suchek. Moyes is probably under more pressure than has been reported because West Ham didn't spend $150 million in the summer for a massive talent upgrade to be sitting 16th and lose nine of their first 15 games, 10 of their first seven, 10 of their first 16 domestic games. That is awful. And much of it comes to the manager. So I think he's going to be one that's probably under pressure now as well. He's done such a good job there. He really has done such a good job there. But it may well just be that the message is no longer getting across, that he just can't take them any further than he has already. And it would be a shame for him because I'd love to see him get his hands on a trophy. And I do think they've got a real chance of winning the Conference League. I'd love to see Moyes win a trophy. But I just don't know if West Ham can can live with this for much longer. When you come out of the the World Cup break and let's say you lose to Fulham and then Arsenal, well, there's a real chance you're going to find yourself sitting in the bottom three. Now, admittedly, Forest have two tough games coming out of the break as well. But Southampton have Brighton at home, which is a game they could get a result in. They've got Fulham away. Again, they could get a result there. Uh, Wolves have Everton and then Manchester United. They could easily win both under Lopetegui. Everton's two are tough, but it wouldn't surprise me if both Everton and West Ham were in the bottom three with, say, Forest after the first two games of the uh, of the season return, returning. In which case, you can't sack him at that point because why wouldn't you have sacked him during the break? If you're going to make a change, now is the time to make it. Leicester, they've really pulled themselves together. That's four wins out of five in the Premier League. Uh, makes their early season form look even worse, in my view, but it is what it is. 25 goals scored, which is really, really good. One of the top six or seven attacks in the league, uh, but conceded 25, which is awful. Um, one of the worst six or seven attack uh, defences in the league. They need to stabilise at that end. I, I think they're getting there. Um I was very, very impressed by what I saw once again from FaZe. I think he looks a really, really solid Premier League centre-back. They've got to go and find a partner for him in January. That's got to be priority number one. Uh, Liverpool 3, Southampton 1. Bobby Firmino, Che Adams equalised, and two for Darwin Nunes. I've talked about this in Daily Red, so go and listen to that there. Liverpool are in sixth place. They are 15 points off top, which is completely unacceptable. But 
they are seeming to turn things around a little bit. They've won three of the last five in the Premier League. They've won four of the last six in the Premier League, in truth. Unfortunately, the two defeats were to Nottingham Forest and Leeds, both of whom are not good. Uh, had they won those two, they would be sitting one point off the top four with the game in hand. Um, two points off third with the game in hand. So, you know, small margins. Um, for Saints, they are in 19th place. They've just made their change. Again, I don't know how it's going to work. They seemed fairly well set up at the weekend, and we'll see what Nathan Jones can get out of them, but they've got a lot of work to do. They they are definitely in need of adding some players in January. Uh, we'll move on then to the maddest game of the weekend. Tottenham 4, Leeds United 3. Uh, Somerville had looked like a bit of a nothing player like a guy with pace and no real idea what he was going to do. He scored against Liverpool, and now he is a prolific goal scorer. Uh, three and three games for him. He puts them one up after 10 minutes. Harry Kane equalises on 25 minutes. Little bit, con- little bit of controversy. Um, I think it's Langley jumps into Melier and sort of bundles him out of the way. Ball drops to Kane. Kane does really well. It's a really good finish, but it was probably <clears throat> it mattered not. Rodrigo Moreno put Leeds two one ahead on forty three minutes. Really, really well taken goal. Uh, but Ben Davies equalised on fifty one. This is just a horror show. I'm not sure what Melier and whoever the defender on the line was doing. Really, really poor. But Rodrigo put Leeds 3-1 up. I'm oh, sorry, 3-2 up on 76 minutes. Bentoncourt equalizes on 81. And then Bentoncourt gets the winner on 83. Tyler Adams sent off on 87 for a second yellow card. Spurs, once again, coming from behind, playing much better in the second half than the first half. Conte needs to figure this out, though, because you can't continue to have games like this where you're winning games late every single week. It, it just doesn't work like that in this league. Uh, but Benton Kerr is showing himself to be just a really good player, not just the goals, but his overall contribution to the game. $17 million, I think, they paid for him. Kulisevsky is different class, absolutely different class. He is such a good player. And when he's in the team... I think their results when he's in the team is basically pace for an 84-point season, which wouldn't win you the league, but it would get you second, maybe third. When he's not on the team, they look like a mid-table team. So they've got to keep him fit. That's going to be priority number one. They've also got to add some some help in defence because Eric Dyer just isn't it. Uh, ben Davies isn't it. And you can't be playing Davins and Sanchez anymore. Uh, Nottingham Forest won Crystal Palace nil. Morgan gives White with the only goal of the game on 54 minutes. This was a fairly dull drab affair, it must be said. Uh, two shots on target in the whole game, including the goal. Um, Wolf Zaha missed a penalty for Forest in the first half. But Palace were really flat and really poor in this one. And Forest were a little bit better, worked hard and got themselves a, a really, really good win. That is now 
the best run of form Forest have had, obviously, in the Premier League. They've won two of their last four, only one defeat in five. Now, they did get walloped in that one by Arsenal. But they are starting to find a little bit of form. And wouldn't you know it, they keep a clean sheet when he drops Steve Cook. And he doesn't even bring him off the bench. Now, Worrell gave away the penalty. But other than that, he played very well. Not overly keen on Willie Bolly as the partner. Um, I think that's something they need to look at. But Worrell was really good. Lodi was good. Aurier was solid. Dean Henderson had nothing to do. Uh, the midfield worked very hard. That's all you can really ask for them. Just go out there and give everything you've got. So it worked. Uh, Jesse Lingard probably should have scored at least two goals in this game. He had one where he cut back onto his right foot and just couldn't get it on target. And there was a Brennan Johnson kind of cross shot that if Lingard had just thrown himself at, he just it hits him and it goes into the net. But it is what it is. It's a good win for Forrest. They're still in the relegation zone. Um, one point behind Everton and West Ham, as I've mentioned. Two points behind Leeds. Three behind Bournemouth. So, like, they really are keeping themselves alive. As I've said all along, I do think they're going to stay up. I really do think they're going to stay up. Because I do think he's a good manager. And I do think they bought well. I'm not sure he's making the best use of the squad. But... I do think he has bought well, or they have bought well. And I, there's a lot of good players there. And Gibbs White impresses me most weeks. I, I think he's really, really good. Um, For Palace, look, they're, they're 11th. They're leveling points of Brentford and Fulham. I think they'll be happy enough. Like the difference between them and Fulham, who are ninth, they're 11th, is one goal. They're minus, eight, uh, minus three, Fulham are minus two. One goal. So I think they're going to be happy enough. They're only two points behind Chelsea, which, you know, if you told them they were going to be two points behind Chelsea, now they might have had ideas of been fourth, but I, I think they'll be happy enough. Um, moving on to Chelsea, funnily enough. Newcastle won Chelsea nil. Uh, Joe Willock with the only goal of the game. Uh, another really, really turgid display by Chelsea. And things are not going well for Graham Potter. That's six domestic games now without a win. And you kind of feel like things are slipping away from him a little bit. Now, as I've said before, it's not his squad. He didn't put it together. It wasn't built for him. One of the problems you have is it was built for a whole litany of managers, not one in particular. You know, you've got players there from Di Matteo's manager. You've got players from... Conte, Sarri, Lampard, Tuchel, you know, there's there's too many, it's one of them too many cooks type of situations. It's, it's actually a similar enough situation to where, where, where Everton are. You look at Everton and their squad and it was put together by managers from Moyes onwards and Chelsea's is exactly the same, put together by managers from... Di Matteo onwards, and he left 10 seasons ago. Like, that's how long ago that is. Um, who else has been in charge? I'm, I'm missing at least one. Oh, Mourinho, of course. Mourinho came back. There's players there from when he 
was there picking and choosing. So you've got one, two, three, four, five, six different managers have built that squad and Graham Potter has been asked to work with it. It's going to be tough. It is going to be tough. I have full faith in Graham Potter as a coach. I said at the time I didn't like that move necessarily for him because the culture of Chelsea is just not something that I think is suited to a manager like him or a coach like him. But I believe they'll give him time. I think they're going to have to. The problem I see happening is if they're the team who buys Cristiano Ronaldo, we're going to talk about him after the break, I think they're going to hamstring Potter to such an extent that there can't be success while they have that player. Uh, Chelsea are eighth. 16 points off top. Three defeats in a row in the Premier League. Four defeats in a row in domestic competition, having lost in the League Cup. Six games domestically without a win. Not very impressive in the last two uh, Champions League games either. They've only scored 17 goals. They've only scored 17 goals. Just consider the talent at that club in attacking areas. And they've only scored 17 goals. That is just not acceptable. You've got Aubameyang, Pulisic, Sterling, Broja, Zayic, Havertz. That's an awful lot of talent. And you're not getting any goals from them. Sterling is their top scorer. He's got three in the league. Havertz has three. Jorginho has two, both penalties. Mount has two. Aubameyang has one. Reese James has one. Pulisic has one. Broya has one. Chilwell, Gallagher, and Koulibaly all have one. That is unacceptable. It really is unacceptable. And I suppose we always thought that Brighton's issue with not scoring was the players. Maybe it was Potter. Great win for the tune. Great win for the tune. That's five Premier League wins in a row. I don't know when the last time Newcastle won five Premier League games in a row was. But they are third in the league. Seven points off top. They've played a game more. Uh, but they hold a one-point lead over Tottenham. They're four points clear of Manchester United. Eight clear of Liverpool. Admittedly, with a game played more than both United and Liverpool. But look, credit to Eddie Howe. It's a huge overperformance. Huge overperformance. Again, like Arsenal, we'll see how they are when they come back out of the break. We'll see how that works. Um, moving on to Arsenal, they beat Wolves 2 0 at Molyneux. It was a bit of a lackluster performance. Their game plan sort of went out the window early when Jacka had to go off. I think he was ill. Uh, Fabio Vieira came on. Now, he was involved in the first goal, which was a Martin Odegaard tap-in. Um, it was a lovely ball across by... Um, it was a lovely ball across by Vieira. But he just... He really seems to struggle with the pace of the Premier League game. Uh, Odegaard scored the second as well um, on 75 minutes. Martinelli's shot was 
blocked it, dropped it Odegaard and he, he smashed it home. Um, Arsenal just didn't look particularly good. They had a couple of other chances. But I think if Wolves had had a striker, they could have caused Arsenal some real issues in that game. They had more than enough opportunities to get into good areas. Thankfully now, the disastrous reign of Steve Davies comes to an end. An absolute buffoon who had no business managing a Premier League team. Um, Bubakar Traore, once again, very, very impressive for Wolves. Neves, obviously, always impressive. But there's definitely something there for Lopetegui to work with when he comes in. I think he can drag them up into the middle, middle table, mid-table kind of area without a whole lot of hassle. If he just gets one forward player in, I think it will bring it all together. This Hugo Bueno um, nonsense at left-back needs to stop when Aiton Uri sitting on the bench, who's a significantly better player. I don't know why they went to a back three. Wolves, they should have gone their normal formation and taken, taken the game to Arsenal. Because that defence can be got at. Ben White's not particularly good defensively. Zinchenko's not good defensively. Gabriel always has a mistake in him. And Saliba's been a good... has has had a good season. You could argue on form, maybe the best centre-back in the league so far this year. But in the couple of games where it was really put up to him, like Manchester United, he just folded. I don't know why more teams don't, don't attack him with a bit of pace and see what happens. Wolves are bottom, Arsenal are top. That's basically all you need to know. Uh, moving into Sunday's games then, Brighton won, Aston Villa 2, Alexis McAllister in the first minute. Poor mistake by Emmy Martinez, plays the ball to Douglas Louise, who's under pressure and doesn't really realise he's under pressure. McAllister steps in, takes the ball off him. That's a really nice finish. Uh, Villa equalised in 20 minutes. <clears throat> ball played through. Lewis Dunk, uh, God knows what he was trying to do. John McGinn takes a heavy touch and is never getting close to the ball, and Dunk just cleans him out. Danny Ying steps up, and it's one of the worst penalties I've ever seen, but it goes in. Danny Ings is not a good penalty take. He just puts his head down and boots it as hard as he can down the middle, and if goalkeepers just stood still, they would save almost every penalty he takes. If Sanchez had just stood still, he would have saved that penalty without breaking sweat. Uh, Ings scored the winner on 54 minutes. Again, it's just awful from Brighton. Bubakar Kamara clips the ball that Purvis Estupin should cut out. He doesn't. He allows Maddie Cash to get beyond him. Cash plays an awful cross in. Uh, Buendia throws himself at it. Really good header. Hits the post. Brighton managed to pick the ball up. Solly March plays it back. I think to Veltman. Veltman plays it to McAllister under pressure for reasons not only to himself. Douglas Louise steps in and takes the ball off him. It breaks to Danny Ings. Ings sits Lewis Dunk on the floor and then hits the worst shot you'll ever see. Completely scuffs it with his left foot. It hits Levi Caldwell. It's going wide. It hits Levi, or, or maybe it's dribbling into the corner, but it's going... It's not going anywhere. A good goalkeeper saves it. It hits Levi Caldwell. And the very little amount of pace that's on it, 
comes off it and it goes towards the other corner. And Robert Sanchez somehow doesn't manage to react and make the save. It's absolutely awful. That's two of the worst goals you're ever going to see scored. And you have to love Danny Ings's arrogance about it. Tells the Brighton fans to calm down after the penalty and then cups his ear after that scuffer that dribbles into the bottom corner. Awful. Uh, really poor from Brighton. Really, really poor result. But they should have had a penalty. There's an absolute stonewall penalty turned round, turned down. Luca Dina takes a loose touch. Solly March steps in, clearly gets to the ball first. And Dina just boots him. Just boots him. How it's not given as a penalty, I have no idea. It's an absolutely shambolic decision. A draw would have been a fairer result and a fairer reflection on what happened in the game. But credit to Villa. It's a great win. It's a great win. Three wins from Forrest and sacking Gerrard. Uh, two wins in a row in the league for Unai Emery to start off his tenure at the club. Really, really impressive. Uh, Brighton are seventh. They dropped down a spot after the weekend's games, but they're still going to be thrilled with seventh. They're five points behind United in fifth with the same number of games played, eight points behind Tottenham with a game in hand. They're not going to be in the Champions League mix, but right now they're making a better fist of it than Chelsea. Um, last game then is Fulham 1, Manchester United 2. <coughs> Christian Eriksen scores on 14 minutes. A little bit of fortune in the goal. Casemiro breaks, plays the ball to Fernandez. Bruno is shooting. There's no doubt here. Bruno is shooting, trying to clip it into the back, into the far post or the far corner. It hits Issa Diop and deflects into the path of Christian Eriksen, who taps home. Uh, Dan James coming off the bench just causes havoc and. Gets on the end of Tom Kearney's cross. Really poor defending by Lissandro Martinez, who has no awareness of what's behind him. Lets the ball go and James taps home. James then proceeded to absolutely roast Martinez on two different occasions by just knocking the ball by him and running. And uh, Fulham probably should have gone 2-1 up. They had a couple of decent chances. De Gea made one great save. But Garnacho gets the winner on 93 minutes for United. It's awful defending from Bobby D. Cordova Reed. Ericsson plays a pass that's overhit. It's a return pass to Garnacho. D. Cordova Reed, I just assume, isn't familiar with Garnacho's body of work and doesn't realize how quick he is. Garnacho gets in the end of it. It's a really good finish. You can't take that away from him. Um, really, really good finish. And a 2 1 win for United that, in truth, they didn't deserve a bit of. A draw would have been the fair result, but if Fulham had won, nobody would have batted an eyelid. Um, it's funny with Dan James, because when he came on, my whole Twitter timeline was people laughing. Like, you're trying to win a game, you bring on Dan James. And I was just watching him and thinking, if he just played as a right winger, like an old school right winger, whose sole job was just beat your man and get the ball in the box. Don't do anything else. Don't try and do anything clever. Just run past your man and get the ball in the box. I really do think he could be a very effective player. He's obviously very limited. Like, he doesn't have great technical skills. But he might be the quickest player in the league. 
and he strikes the ball quite well. And if you just said to him, right, knock the ball past your fullback, get on the end of it, and put the ball in one of these three areas, either across towards the penalty spot, a pullback towards the edge of the box, or a lofted cross to the far wing, to somebody coming in off the far wing, I really do think you could get something out of him. That pace is absolutely electric. Like, one of the times he ran Martinez, he must have given him like a 10-yard head start. And he had him caught up before Martinez had taken four steps. He is just so, so rapid. Uh, but look, it's a good win for United away. I think I did predict a 2-1 if Mitrovic didn't play. United should be very thankful that Mitrovic didn't play. Um, United are fifth. That's three wins in five. Their form is, is very up and down. Uh, zero goal difference. They won't be overly happy, but they'll be pleased to get to this break. Uh, Fulham, they're ninth. They've lost two in a row. 19 points in 15 games. So if you'd offered them that at the start of the season, they would have jumped at it. So they won't have any complaints. Um, yeah, so there we go. Arsenal, City, Newcastle, Spurs, Manchester United, Liverpool, Brighton, Chelsea, Fulham, Brentford, Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, Leicester, Bournemouth, Leeds, West Ham, Everton, Nottingham Forest, Southampton and Wolves. That is the lay of the land after 14-15 games. Uh, Arsenal, City, United, Liverpool, Brighton, Chelsea, Crystal Palace and Leeds have played 14 games. Arsenal will play City, and that's their game in hand. United will play Leeds. Brighton will play Crystal Palace, and Liverpool will play Chelsea. They're the, the games that are to be made up. We'll wait and see when they get made up, because there's no natural gaps in the schedule after the World Cup break. Right, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we need to talk about Cristiano. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, Cristiano Ronaldo did an interview with Piers Morgan last night for Talk TV, which tells you where Piers Morgan's career has gone, that that's the outlet that he's now part of. And he said that, he said a lot of things. Put it this way. He did a sit-down interview with Piers Morgan and came across as the biggest prick in the room. That's how bad it was. That's how egotistical it was. That's how narcissistic it was. That's how disconnected from reality it was. He said that people at the club were trying to force him out. This is a guy who went on strike in the summer and had his agent offering him to every top club in Europe, every single one of them. The only reason he's still at Manchester United is because no one wanted him. 
one club had real interest, which was Chelsea, because Todd Bowley knows nothing about football and is, is an idiot. And Thomas Tuchel immediately put the kibosh on it and was like, absolutely not. That's why he's still there. So he tried to force his own way out in the summer. Now, United reacted to that, or Ten Hag reacted to that, and reacted to him leaving the stadium at half time during a pre-season friendly by putting him in the team on the opening day of the season. So that's how he reacted to the first two big slights. Uh, since then, he has refused to come on as a sub and left the pitch early during a game. Ten Hag reacted to that by making him captain. So I'm assuming after this interview, Ten Hag is going to walk away from the job and appoint Cristiano as his successor. He says there's been no evolution at the club since Sir Alex Ferguson's departure in 2013 and that the Scott agreed United were not on the path they deserve to be. So let's be really honest with this. As good as Sir Alex Ferguson was as manager, he is likely the person most to blame for where United currently are. He allowed the squad to get old before he retired. He gave contracts to players who didn't deserve contracts, who were past their best. He kept quiet about the Glazers and how they were funneling money out of the club because they were funneling money into his pockets. And he drove the appointment of David Moyes. Now, when Moyes was sacked, he took a step back Van Hal won trophy, won a trophy and finished in the top four. Mourinho won trophies and finished second. Ferguson drove the appointment of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and then he drove the appointment of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as permanent manager. Then he drove the decision to bring back Cristiano Ronaldo. All of these massive mistakes Alex Ferguson was the architect of. He says the club showed a lack of empathy when his young daughter was hospitalised in July. That's fair enough if that's the case. This is where he got really disrespectful. He said he'd never heard of Ralph Ranick, which is just an outrageously ridiculous comment. Like, an outrageously ridiculous comment. He said he didn't know why Wayne Rooney criticised him, probably because he finished his career and I'm still playing. Well, the reason Wayne Rooney retired is because Wayne Rooney was a team player who was committed to his team and gave everything for his team. The reason Cristiano can still play is because Cristiano doesn't care about the team, he cares about himself. He also said he was better looking than Rooney, which was just a bizarre thing to come out and say. And then he said he didn't respect the current manager, Eric Ten Hag. Because Ten Hag didn't show him respect. Now, let's rewind again. He went on strike in the summer and tried to force a move. He left the stadium at half time during a preseason friendly. He refused to come off the bench and left the pitch or the, the bench area early before the game was finished and went to the dressing room. You haven't shown that manager a modicum of respect since the day he walked into the club. How can you possibly think that he's going to show you any respect? You don't deserve respect just because you're Cristiano Ronaldo. That's not how this works. 
Alex Ferguson once said, when a player thinks he's bigger than the manager or bigger than the club, that player has to go. Cristiano has clearly thought of himself as bigger than every club he's ever been at and thinks he's better than this, bigger than this manager. Now, he is. In footballing terms, he is, of course. But he has to go. He can never play for United again after this. He can never play for them again after this. This is, this is it. Game over. And I don't know where he's going to go. My assumption is this is a calculated move. It's notable that it came out once the games were finished and he wasn't going to have to go back there. It's notable he wasn't in the United squad today. Or yesterday, rather. So he knew that this was his end game. He is trying to force them, I think, to terminating his contract. And they've paid him 500 grand a week for 18 months. And he has made them worse at every turn. He completely torpedoed what Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was doing there. Now, Oli's tenure was not going to bring a league title or a Champions League, but he completely torpedoed it. Yes, he scored his goals, but the team as a whole scored far less. The team as a whole was far worse. He made Juventus worse while he was there as well. Yes, they won two league titles. They would have won them anyway. In the third year, the knock-on effect, the continued regression with him in the team just became too much and they couldn't overcome it and they ended up almost not making top four. He is finished as a top player. Finished. And I've said before, and I'll continue to say it, Portugal would be much better off if he wasn't in their squad. If he wasn't in their squad, I think I'd make Portugal favourites to win the World Cup. With him in the squad, I think they'll be lucky to get past the round of 16. He is such a negative impact. And he will score his goals because that's what he does. That's what he cares about is his goals. But he does not help a team win anymore. He's not good enough anymore. Chelsea seems like the only major club that could be stupid enough to sign him. You look at the Premier League, you can rule out City. City must thank the lucky stars that he didn't join them. Because if he joined them last year, they wouldn't have won the league title. And they'd never have even reached the Champions League semi-final. They'd have been out earlier earlier than that because he's such a negative impact. Um, Liverpool would have won the league last year if Cristiano played for City. So City won't want him. Liverpool won't want him. Chelsea may want him. Arsenal wouldn't want him. Spurs wouldn't want him. Newcastle, potentially. I mean, if they were being foolish, which they haven't been so far, but I don't think they'll want him either. So Chelsea's the only one in the Premier League. Nobody in Serie A wants him. Nobody in La Liga wants him. Sporting is the only club in Portugal that would want him, and that's just a nostalgia play. Uh, Bayern don't want him, PSG don't want him. So his options are going to be Chelsea, where I don't think Potter wants him, but I think Potter will put up with him to keep the job. Sporting. Or the Middle East, because he can't go to America. And there's no money in China anymore. 
she'd have to go to the Middle East. But his career as an elite level player is over. And even if he goes to Chelsea, if he goes to Chelsea and joins this Chelsea team, they may end up in the bottom half of the league. That's just how it is. They may end up in the bottom half of the league. His comments in this interview were an outrage. An absolute outrage. And to see any United fan like Goldbridge try and defend him was just disgraceful. Now, he did make some valid points. And if he just stuck to those valid points, I think the fans would have been on board with him because he did call out the owners. He called out, not by name, but he called out John Murtaugh and the people that have overseen the football project. So he did call them out. But the unprovoked attack on Ten Hag, the attack on Rooney, the arrogance, it just it was just disgusting. United have issued a statement. Manchester United notes the media coverage regarding an interview by Cristiano Ronaldo. The club will consider its response after the full facts have been established. Our focus remains on preparing for the second half of the season and continuing the momentum, belief and togetherness being built among the players, manager, staff and fans. They got a good away win and he's ruined it. He has tarnished it because all anybody's talking about is him. Because that's all he cares about. It's the same thing when they won that game in Europe and he walked off and took off for the dressing room before the final whistle. He tarnished a big win, a big moment for Ten Hag with his behaviour. And that statement is weak. That statement should have said he is suspended without pay until the full, or even with pay, whatever, until the full facts have been established. They cannot allow him back. Because when he was signed, we had the nonsense claims by the likes of Roy Keane that, you know, what a role model he'll be for these young players. This is what you want to teach young players. This is what you want to teach Anthony and Garnacho and Sancho and people like this. It's absolutely shocking. Um... It should be interesting to see how it plays out, though. But United cannot cannot bring him back. They just cannot bring him back. To come out and say, I don't have respect for him because he doesn't show respect for me. If you don't respect me, I'm not going to have respect for you. That's an absolute disgrace. Ninety minutes of an interview where he just bashed the club and everything about it. And the idea that it's his version of the truth, this is nonsense. It's no surprise that he is one of Morgan's kind of people because Morgan likes people like him, you know, Donald Trump, Cristiano Ronaldo. There's a lot of similarities between the two the narcissistic personalities, the fake tan, the makeup, the arrogance, the questionable treatment of the opposite sex. Um, I, I just think he needs to go. I really do. I think he needs to go. And to see players or anybody come out and defend him is just laughable. Um, speaking of 
the real oh, oh, obviously Cristiano Ronaldo. A lot of people call him Ronaldo. Ronaldo is Ronaldo. That is the Brazilian Fino. There's a brilliant article about him on the BBC website. It's the fifth and final instalment of their Icon series. Now, uh, hopefully, I think it's they're all linked. Yeah, they're all linked here. So there's a piece about Cruyff, piece about Maradona, piece about Pele, and a piece about Zidane, and then this piece about Ronaldo. They're fairly long reads, so I would recommend when you have, you know, 10 minutes to spare, sit down, read one of them. If you've got an hour, sit down, read all five. They're really, really good. This one is written by Alex Bicet, and it's very, very good. Um, One United player who deserves credit for an interview is Bruno Fernandes. There's a lot to dislike about Bruno. I love him as a player. I think he's absolutely outstanding. Um, and I think, you know, as an output output merchant, he's he's Frank Lampard, basically. Uh, I don't like the diving, and I don't like the constant moaning at officials, but I do think he is a tremendous footballer. And, you know, you just need to look at the numbers he puts forward. Now, this hasn't been a particularly good season for him. Um, he hasn't been nearly as good since Cristiano arrived at the club. I think once he rids himself of Cristiano, we'll see the real Bruno Fernandes return. Uh, but he's given an interview, I think it was the post-match after the Fulham game, where he talked about the World Cup and he talked about the treatment of of gay people, the human rights violations, the treatment of migrant workers it's really really good so do check that out uh what else have we got josh Sargent has been deemed fit for the world cup after taking a knock in norwich's defeat by middlesbrough at the weekend good to see borough really turning things around uh michael carrick obviously having a good effect but it could just be the new manager bounce we'll wait and see we'll wrap up with the gossip then and we'll be done for today Manchester United wants to sell Harry Maguire next summer and the club may have to accept considerably less than the 80 million. May have to. No, they'll definitely have to. I don't even know where you sell him. like Because he's going to want similar wages. There's only a handful of clubs in Europe that pay those kind of wages and none of them will want Harry Maguire. Netherlands forward Memphis Depay, who has been linked to the move to Tottenham, wants to leave Barcelona on a free transfer in January. Killing Mbappe says he wants to write his name in the history books of Paris Saint-Germain rather than move abroad to win the Champions League. Chris, Killing Mbappe, I don't know what to make of him. Like Every time he speaks, he contradicts himself. It's just very, very strange. Diego Simeone says he wants Jeff Felix to stay at the club. Maybe start using him a bit better then. Maybe you're going to have to look at modernising the tactical approach. I, I wouldn't, but, you know, you might have to. Uh, Chelsea have hosted Endrick and his family at their training ground. PSG and Real Madrid are also in the mix for him. We'll wait and see where he ends up. He's obviously 16, can't move till he's 18, but teams are trying to put a, play, a deal in place now. Arsenal are planning moves for Yuri Tielemans and Daniil in January. Newcastle are planning a move for Mikhailo Mudrik. He'd be a lot of fun in that Newcastle team. He really would. Manchester City have joined the race for Benfica and Argentina midfielder Enzo Fernandez. I think that this is just a distraction ploy to 
make people look one way while they're trying to get the Jude Bellingham deal across the line. Atletico Madrid are keen to make Sergio Regulon's move permanent despite a lack of games. I, I don't believe that. Um, Louis Enrique had Gerard Piquet on a short list for the World Cup. This is everything that's wrong with Louis Enrique. Newcastle will listen to offers from Matt Ritchie in January. I can't imagine they'll have many. It'll be championship clubs if there are. Um, Bournemouth are exploring a move to bring in Marcelo Bielsa. Roy Wayne Rooney says Roy Keane would not have accepted this sort of behaviour. Oh, sorry, the sort of behaviour he has defended from Cristiano. He's right, he wouldn't have. If Cristiano had done this type of thing while Roy Keane was captain, there would have been quite a severe falling out. And you'd imagine that hands might have been thrown at some point. And they'd only have been Irish hands. There'd be no Portuguese hands coming back in return. Uh, Mason Mount has yet to agree a new contract with Chelsea and talks have reached a a stalemate. It's funny. I see more and more Chelsea fans kind of questioning Mount and asking what he brings to the team and asking why he's in the team. And there was a lot of this last season as well. Like The thing is, Mason Mount is constantly used out of position. Mason Mount belongs as an 8 in a midfield 3 or as a 10 in a 4-2-3-1. But he's not a wide attacker. He just isn't. He's never going to be. Like, you look at his first Premier League season was 1920 under Frank. Actually, go back a season. 1819, he's at Derby in the Championship. Overall, he gets 11 goals and six assists. That's a really good return, considering his age at the time. He was 19 turning 20. First Premier League season, 20 turning 21. Eight goals, six assists in all competitions. Plays 53 games. 3,700 minutes, nearly 3,800 minutes. Nine and nine the next season, 54 games, plays 4,300 minutes. 21 22, which is last season, obviously. 13 goals, 16 assists, 53 appearances, 3,800 minutes. Like the lad's played a lot of football. He's never hurt. He's almost always available. And he has put up really impressive numbers. This season, he's got two goals and six assists, which isn't terrible, but it's bad when you look at where he's playing. He's playing in a front three. The problem is he doesn't suit playing in a front three. And I wonder if Chelsea will be open to selling him. His contract is up in 2024. There's no option to extend it. He wants... I'd imagine, parity with some of the top earners at Chelsea. He turns 24 in January and will be entering his peak years probably then or the year after. He wants to get paid like what he is, which is an England international, one of the best players at the club. If he does become available, I could see Liverpool being all over that because Jurgen Klopp loves him. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain could make a move for Youngman's son. With Real Madrid having doubts about signing him, I don't think he's going to go to either club. I think he's going to stay at Spurs, to be honest. I don't really believe the stories that he wants to leave. Um, Liverpool are... Sorry, Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp says talks are taking place 
with Roberto Firmino, I, I would like to see him just given a handshake and, and told to enjoy the rest of his career. David De Gea will have to take a pay cut of at least a hundred grand a week to stay with the club. Then he'd still be earning two hundred and fifty grand a week, which is far more than he's actually worth. Brighton and Spain goalkeeper Robert Sanchez has been monitored by Chelsea and Manchester United. I think he will be Chelsea's top target. I think United might look at Costa from Porto. I think Chelsea will go for Sanchez. I don't think he's much good, but I think Chelsea will go for him. Cody Gakpo, who has been linked to the move away from PSG, says he will be ready to take that next step in the summer. And that will it would be an honour to play for any of Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United, Manchester City, or... Liverpool snuck Man City in there like no one had noticed, did you? Hmm. Um, he's definitely ambitious, we'll say that. Palmeiras have turned down an offer from Paris Saint-Germain for Hendrik. Palmeiras don't really have to sell. He's got a release clause, but that release clause isn't valid till he turns 18. So I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, former Chelsea manager Thomas Tuchel is the favourite to replace Diego Simeone if the Spanish club decide to part ways with the Argentine. Um, if Diego Simeone leaves Atletico Madrid, it will be his decision and his decision alone. They are level in points with Athletic Bilbao. They're fifth, Bilbao are fourth. They're two points behind Sociedad. They're going to finish in the top four again this season. They've had a really bad campaign, but if he leaves, it'll be on his own his own grounds. He's he's earned that right. They won't sack him. I don't think they can afford to sack him anyway. Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag wants Donny van de Beek to either prove himself or leave. He has to play to prove himself. Aston Villa are targeting a move for Samuel Chukwesi. Now, this is the spoofer, uh, Wayne Vesey. So it's probably nonsense because he's a he's a Villarreal player. Um Femi Sports Group are in talks to sell Liverpool for 2.7 billion to an American buyer. That figure is well below what everybody else has reported, but you never know. Chelsea owner Todd Bowley is planning to build a new stadium in London's Earl Court nine years after the idea of leaving Stamford Bridge was scrapped. I don't believe that to be true. I really just don't believe it to be true. Um, Liverpool's 20-year-old English midfielder Tyler Morton, who is on loan with Blackburn, could be the latest int- latest youngster to head to the Bundesliga with Borussia Dortmund interested. I don't believe that either. Birmingham City will try to turn Dion Sanderson's season-long loan move from Wolves into a permanent move during January. That'd be a good move. He's a good defender. I do like him. He's had a couple of good loans. Juventus have met with the agent of Sergei Milinkovic-Savage and are also interested in Rick Karasdrup and Alvaro Odriozola. Uh, Rick Karasdrup has been banished from Roma by Mourinho, told to find a new club that he's never going to play again. Um, Juventus are desperate for fullbacks, but I'm not sure Rick Karasdrup fills the need. Odriozola, there is a real player there, but it's never gone right since he went to Real Madrid. Uh, Inter Milan are keen to sign Spanish left-back Jesus Vasquez from Valencia and Borussia Mönchengladbach forward Marcus Turam. Marcus Turam is playing really well at the minute. Really, really well at the minute. Uh, Borussia Dortmund chief executive Hans-Joachim Vasquez says Jude Bellingham 
will be talked to after the World Cup about his future. He's going next summer. Everybody already knows it. Barcelona, who know it will be difficult to sign Ilke Gundogan, are also looking at Yui Thielemans. I mean, this doesn't really make any sense because they play very different roles. Barca failed to make the Champions League round of 16, but the new Camp Club have not questioned Xavi's position as manager. Why would they? Like, they're top of the league. Why would they question that? Uh, you know, Emery wants to sign two players from Real Madrid, Eden Hazard and Nacho Fernandez. This is going to be the nonsense that we hear now for the next few weeks. Villa could make a £14 million bid for Frank Kessie, with Fulham also interested. He apparently wants to leave Barca. It was a bad move for him. He should have stayed at AC Milan. What he was thinking, but he was thinking money, but I, I have no idea why he made that move. Um, Pep Guardiola will hold talks with the club during the World Cup to discuss his future. When is Pep's contract up? When is Pep's contract up? Is it this? 2023. His contract is up in 2023. And this is his longest tenure with any club. Even if you take in Barcelona B, he was only a, a manager at Barcelona for five years. Then he had three years at Bayern after a year off. And he jumped straight into this job. He might well look to leave after this season. If he does, that could make things very interesting. AC Milan are close to agreeing a deal with Chelsea to sign Hakim Ziyech. This one seems to have been going on for years. Uh, AC Milan will not consider offers of less than 100 million euro for Rafael Leao. Graham Potter has the total backing of Chelsea owners after suffering three straight defeats in the Premier League. Roma director Thiago Pinto cannot accept England manager Gareth Southgate's reasoning in leaving Tammy Abraham out of the squad. I think the reasoning is nonsense. I think it's purely because he plays in Serie A. Same reason Tamori's not in the squad. Southgate's only going to pick players if they play in the Premier League. And even then, only if they play at the top clubs, unless they're demanding a role with their form. And even then, he probably leaves them out. Uh, Anthony Rudiger, who left Chelsea to join Real Madrid in the summer, says Barcelona track go away. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Don't be talking rubbish. Italy midfielder Marco Verratti is close to signing a contract extension until 2026 with French champions Paris Saint-Germain. It's such a shame that he has spent more or less his entire career at PSG. Like He went there in 2012. He was one of their first sort of signings after all the money arrived. This is season number 11. He's been obviously phenomenal for them. And he's won eight league titles this season and most likely be nine. He's won six French Cups, six league Cups. They've never won the European Cup. And I don't think they will either. I feel like he's sort of wasted his career. It's also interesting that he only has 49 caps for Italy. Now, I know he tends to get injured quite often, but he's 30 now. It's just a shame he didn't spend his career playing in a top league. He's such a good player. Bosnia striker Eden Zeko's contract with Inter Milan 
runs out next summer and he says he wants to stay with the club, which makes sense. Why would you want to leave? Uh, right, that'll do, folks. That is me for today. I will talk to you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.